So up until today, this sermon series has been in the evenings uh, uh, this fall, a 450th anniversary tour. The word catechism refers to a summary of the Christian faith using questions and answers, and that's we were in it right here. Hundreds and hundreds of catechisms have been written over the centuries. The Heidelberg Catechism from the Reformed tradition was published 450 years ago this year, and it stood the test of time. Soon after it was written and published, it was recognized as an amazing summary of the Bible, and over time it spread all around the world. You might wonder, if you're not used to a catechism, why why use a catechism and not just like read your Bible? Well, there's no doubt that every one of us could be in our Bibles more. But if you want a great roadmap for the Bible, you couldn't do much better than the Heidelberg Catechism. It's practical, it's clear, it's personal, it's biblical, it's trustworthy, it's useful for young Christians, for new believers, for those who are more mature in the faith too. And this series that we've been doing on Sunday nights is a tour, an overview. And in the first part of the series, we looked down in our tour from about 30,000 feet, and we saw the unique structure of the catechism, which is the same thing as the outline of the book of Romans, guilt, grace, gratitude. And now what we've done recently is we moved from 30,000 feet down to 10,000 feet and are looking now at the contents of the catechism, which are the basic same contents of almost all catechisms. The Apostles' Creed and what that means, studying the sacraments, studying the Ten Commandments, and then the Lord's Prayer. So today we're up to the Ten Commandments, God's law. And like I was saying, this sermon could just have well fit into that old-time religion series that we have been doing in the mornings because the idea of the law of God seems to have fallen on hard times. I don't think people seem to like to talk about it much. It sounds harsh. It sounds heavy. Once when I was a seminary student, I was leading worship in a Christian Reformed Church in Michigan. And it was more contemporary in style, and they didn't read the Ten Commandments in the service pretty much ever. And I thought I would include the Ten Commandments that morning for them. Well, someone walked out of the service because they were so offended This is in a church, a church. They were so offended that I would read the Ten Commandments. And a couple days later, I got a note from this guy and a book to read. And the note talked about our freedom and Jesus and how the law doesn't hold anymore. And the book he gave me made the same sort of argument. And you'll find that type of thinking out there. The law doesn't apply anymore. It's an Old Testament thing. It's not New Testament. And You know, maybe you've thought that about God's law, too, a little bit. Maybe you cringe just a little bit when we here at Faith read the Ten Commandments in worship, and you think, come on, isn't that just a little too old school? Isn't that just a little too Old Testament? Isn't that just a little harsh? In response to that, and thinking about Thanksgiving Day this Thursday, I want to clearly and joyfully say this morning that I am thankful for the law of God. 
Jesus says, Matthew 5, 17, do not think that I have come to abolish the law and the prophets. I did not come to abolish, but fulfill. And the Psalms are full of language like this. I desire to do your will, O my God. Your law is within my heart, Psalm 40, Psalm 1. Blessed is the man whose delight is in the law of the Lord. Psalm 119, be gracious to me through your law. My soul is consumed with longing for your laws at all times. And I delight in your commands because I love them. Oh, how I love your law. So this morning, I'm going to share reasons I'm thankful for God's law and why I think you should be too, so that together we can gain a love and delight for it, like believers in generations past, I believe, had. I'm thankful for God's law, first of all, because his law is enduring. God's word is eternal, and so is his law. And here, when we talk about the laws that apply to us today, we have to be clear, because there are a lot of laws in the Old Testament, but they're not all the same. We can talk about three different categories of Old Testament laws. And if you don't know that there are three different categories and types, you could very well get hung up on this idea of God's law. Two of those three categories have passed away. Those are the ones we call ceremonial laws and civil laws. Ceremonial laws had to do with the worship ceremony of God in the Old Testament. The sacrificial system was in place. There are all sorts of rules and regulations for offerings, what had to be sacrificed, when and how and where. Ceremonial laws have passed away because Jesus came as the once-for-all perfect sacrifice for sins. The book of Hebrews talks all about this. The civil laws have passed away too. The faith was especially connected to a particular nation in Old Testament times. And so, along with instruction for God's people, were laws for the nation of Israel. Stoning, other punishments, and so on. But now, and this was according to God's purpose and design all along, the church, his people, are made up of people of all nations, so these civil laws having to do with the nation of Israel back then have passed away. Maybe you've come across or heard people criticize the Bible because they see all these crazy-looking laws in the Old Testament. Well, then it can be helpful to know that as we look at the flow of the Bible from Old Testament to New, that some of these have passed away. That portion of the Bible that has those laws. It's still God's holy and perfect and infallible word. They remain important. We preach for them sometimes. They're important especially in how they foreshadow and point us to Jesus Christ. Now the third category of law, which is still in force, is the, what we call the moral law. It's the heart of the law, the Ten Commandments, and it will always endure. That's what Jesus was talking about when he spoke of not abolishing the law. I'm secondly thankful for God's law because of the law giver. I read something about this recently that I found helpful. If we take the law away from the law giver, if we disconnect it from 
the one who gave the law, we're going to run into real trouble. We're going to misunderstand the law. And in the New Testament, the Pharisees did this, and they got stuck in legalism. They were focusing on the law for the law's sake, not for the sake of the lawgiver, our God. They acted like following the laws could save them. And sometimes I think people have trouble when we as Christians talk about God's law because, and even Christians have trouble because the word law makes us think of the IRS tax code. It makes us think of speeding tickets, of governmental bureaucracy, of middle management laws and regulations at our work. But in the Old Testament, the Hebrew word for law is a word Torah, and it's used differently than that. An example of how it's different from how we think of law is in Proverbs, when the father who loves his children is teaching them to live wisely so they might flourish and have life. And the father says it this way, my son, open your ear and listen to my Torah. Listen to my law. And that gives us a different perspective. Because as parents, we don't just drop the law on our kids. John and Rachel have a structure for Olivia's life already now, especially now maybe as a little baby, because they love her. And as she grows in that context, she'll come to know that within, because of that structure and in that loving structure, they will never love her any more or less, no matter what. And when she's old enough to understand, her mom and dad will be able to show her and tell her and look her in the eye that they want her life to be good and blessed. And so there are going to be some rules to life. And that's to keep her from unnecessary pain and suffering. And all of us as parents, if we have kids, if we are parents, we love our children. We want it to go well with them. That's how God gives the law. He's our heavenly father. He has a father's heart. We know the lawgiver is good, that he loves his children, that he cares. These aren't laws from a far-off dictator who makes orders. And if we obey the orders, we get to be citizens and left alone. And if we disobey the orders and laws, we get locked up in prison or tortured or something. So I'm thankful that God, our Heavenly Father, is the lawgiver. And knowing Him makes all the difference in how we look at the idea of His law. Makes all the difference for how we receive the law. I'm thankful also for God's law because God's law is a mirror for my soul. James 1.23 talks about the Word of God being a mirror. The law is like a mirror, too, because it shows us what we should be. It shows us how our lives should look. Without that comparison of our lives with the will of God, we would think that we are doing just fine. Sometimes, though, in life, we need to know that we're not doing just fine. Let's pretend you're, you're going out on the town. Maybe you're getting ready to see Catching Fire. You're all dressed up. You're looking pretty fine, if you do say so yourself. It's always a good tip to check yourself out in the mirror first because some 
hair could be wildly out of place. Or you could smile in the mirror and find a piece. Have you ever had this a dark green piece of something? You're hoping it's lettuce. It's covering like half of one of your front teeth. You would want to know about that before going out. You'd want to know about that before your hot date. Even if a mirror shows us something ugly, it's a good thing because then we can correct it. God's law has that kind of use. Way back in Lesson 2 of the Catechism, we read the question, How do you come to know your misery? And the answer is, the law of God tells me. That's in the very first section of the catechism, which is called what again? Guilt. That's the first section. The law of God is a mirror for us to compare our lives with. And it shows us we fall short, that we've got some ugliness there, that we're sinners, that we're guilty. And that tells us all that we need help. We need Jesus. And that's a good thing, isn't it, to know you need Jesus? That's something to be thankful for. That God's law shows us we fall short and we need a Savior. We could ignore the sin issue, the guilt issue, but that's not going to help anything. We could walk out the door without checking ourselves out in the mirror and seeing that leaf, but that's not going to go well. With the mirror, with the law, we see the problem And then we can get it solved. We can get cleaned up. We can get it taken care of by going to Jesus and believing in him, the one who saves us from our sin through his atoning death on the cross. I'm also thankful for God's law because it shows me what putting on the new looks like. Remember last week we talked about strengthening our inner person. We talked about the game plan for doing that mortification, vivification, putting to death our old nature, letting the new come to life. Well, there's something very interesting in the catechism lesson just before the Ten Commandments. That was Lord's Day 34 that we read the Ten Commandments from. Just before that, Lord's Day 33, what is the dying away of the old self? What is the coming to life of the new self? So this is what we talked about last week, just before we talk about God's law. In the the message that we had in our time of worship on Thursday, we talked a little bit more about details of how to put off the old. But now, when we put on the new, what are we putting on exactly? What does that look like? Well, it looks like someone who's following the Ten Commandments. It looks like someone who's loving God above all, loving her neighbor as herself, as the law is summarized. And so the Ten Commandments are the roadmap for living for Jesus. They show what the old man versus the new nature should look like in all different areas of life, like marriage and worship, our speech, Sabbath-keeping, our possessions. And the questions and answers in the catechism, if you go on and look at them, they explain in a beautiful and really helpful and personal way what that getting rid of the old, letting the new come to life looks like. So I'm I'm thankful that God spells out 
holy living for us. He doesn't leave us guessing when he says, put on the new. It looks like loving God, loving others, the Ten Commandments. I'm also thankful for God's law because it shows me how I can thank God for all he's done for me. The Ten Commandments are in the last of those three sections in the catechism. And that last one, again, is gratitude. And that tells us that living them is our thankful response to God for all he's done for us. That's really, really important to understand because we might think in order to have a relationship with God, we have to work as hard as we can. Without knowing that, we might hear about the Ten Commandments and think, okay, you know, there's all these top ten lists out there. This is the top ten list, ten steps that we have to follow so that God will love us. But that's not right. That's the direction legalism goes. That's putting the law in the wrong place. That is not it. In Old Testament times, Exodus 20, God gave his people these ten commandments after he saved them from slavery in Egypt. God does not say, you people, you better follow my law perfectly, and then I'll love you. Then I'll be your God. No. God says, first, I am your God. You are my people. I have rescued you out of sheer grace and not because of anything you've done. Now, my people who have experienced my salvation and my grace, here's how you can thank me in response for all I've done for you. Let your whole life be a big thank you to me. And that's why the Ten Commandments are in the gratitude section. It's because the folks who wrote this catechism 450 years ago understood the sovereign grace of God. They knew that we cannot claw our way to God with our virtuous living because we will always fall flat on our face. They knew what the Bible says. God has to step in and save us. So the law has a very special place as our rule of gratitude, our guide for thankful living. I'm finally thankful for God's law because it frees me to live as God's child. It brings tremendous freedom when we see that the law works that way. In Jesus, because of the grace of God, the law isn't a burden, but it is the loving, freeing guideline for our lives. It's from a Father who saved us and loves us and he wants the best for us. I want to share an example of this from another pastor. This pastor moved into a new house a number of years ago, and he was in his house studying. He had the window cracked open for fresh air, and he heard this weirdest sound, and it went like clunk, 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 clunk. He's like, what in the world is that? And he went out and heard the noise going on, down the street a little ways. One of his sons was in those little electric Jeeps. You know what I'm talking about? The ones with those hard tires. Um, and he's far away from the house. The clunk, 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 clunk is him driving on the gravel. 
He's like four. And so the dad runs after him and stands in front of him and says, Whoa, buddy, where are you going? What are you doing? The son says, I'm going to go buy some donuts. The dad was like, Hey, buddy, you can't go get donuts. And he's like, See you later. In the son's mind, this is a great freedom. He's got the wheels. He has a rough idea where the donut store is. But the father knew that that much freedom would lead to his suffering. He was literally just about to merge onto a street with 40 mile an hour traffic. His dad realized that would harm him. And so what do you think he did not long after that? He built up a fence around his yard that might have cramped the style of the little kid, but what it actually was was an act of love because if he hopped the fence, he was going to get hurt. And the reality is when we leave the father's household, it will lead to suffering and our ruin. People don't get this because they're rebellious, and so we want to fight against God's parameters. We step outside the bounds of God's way of looking at marriage and physical intimacy. We stretch God's will for telling the truth. We let longing for other people's stuff take root in our hearts, and sometimes we nurture that, and so we covet. Going outside of the boundaries will cause pain and suffering sooner or later, certainly in the next life, if not this one. Our tendency is to think God's guidelines are oppressive, but they give freedom. Freedom to live for Jesus, freedom to enjoy all that the Father has for us, freedom to play and work and create and live in the yard of our Father in Heaven's grand mansion. I'm thankful today for the freedom of God's law to live as God's child. So this Thanksgiving season, I'm thankful for God's law. I'm thankful for God's law every day, and I hope you are too. It's a tremendous blessing. I'm thankful because it's enduring. I'm thankful because of the one who gives the law, the lawgiver. I'm thankful the law is a mirror for my soul. I'm thankful God also shows me exactly what putting on the new nature looks like. I'm thankful that God shows me just how to live, just how to say thank you to him for all he's done for me. And I'm thankful for the freedom the law brings, not freedom to live as I please, because it turns out living as I please is not true freedom, but freedom to live the life the Father has designed for our best. That's the best life you could ever have. Are you thankful for the law of God this morning? I hope I've convinced you by looking at God's word together.